Yeah, we've had a massive change in, in farming, really, in the last three the years. The whole system has uh, changed completely. <laughs> yes, you know, we've so. gone from running two mobs to one mob. and Yeah, one one herd now, which has made things so much simpler. I, I forgot how easy heifers can be when they're mixed in with the old girls. So that's a, a huge labour saving. Multiple shifts really focusing on on keeping their um, residual, you know, sort of 16, 17, 18 instead of 15. So... making that grass grow more grass. Mm. Hello and welcome along to the Quorum Sense podcast. I'm John O'Frew and I'm excited to be here with you as we dive into exploring how New Zealand farmers are creating more resilient, regenerative and enjoyable farming systems. All right, everybody, welcome to the Quorum Sense podcast. I'm joined this afternoon by Megan Shute and Shane Birchall, all the way from Waimeu Farm in uh, Rotorua. Would that be the closest place, guys? Rafakaidu. To give the audience an idea of, of roughly where that is in the north, where, whereabouts are you guys? That's about 20 minutes uh, south of Rotorua. Okay, cool. And you guys are dairy farming up there. I'm just going to hand it straight over you guys before we go into the sort of farming aspects of things. But can you please just introduce the the dynamic father-daughter duo that you are, please, for the listeners. Hi, so I'm Megan, and um, I've been on farm for about 15 years, actually 15 years at the end of the year. I'm third generation on the farm, and, and my boys are a fourth generation. Me. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I've been on the farm for 40 years, 41 years now. Um, came here as a um, as a school leaver from North Auckland, so my parents bought it as a as a small dry stock farm, and we converted to a dairy farm. So, uh, yeah, that was back in 80, 82, 81, 82. So, um, yeah, pretty much all I know, and and uh, everything I've learned's been on on the farm. So, and I'm still learning. Yeah, I love how you added that on the end. Very important still learning and um and how old are you guys just like 40 years i'm straight out of school yeah. 56 yep nice and still actively like you're still milking cows yep yep full, full, full time in the shed pretty much um yep around that 450 cows um yeah one once a day been once a day for about 15 years 15 seasons now so yeah, so that's about us. Plenty of work. Farm itself is fairly contoured, so yeah. So I'm 36. Uh, I'm full time as well, um, but I also have four boys, so my uh, time spread pretty thinly between it all. But um, yeah, I've been full time for the last or oh, since since August actually, since spring. But I'm always I've uh, right the way through my babies and stuff. I've always been on farm and, and involved, but um been lucky enough to get a bit more hands-on in the last 12 months describe for us from from back in 82 to what the farm is now has it changed in size obviously it's now a dairy farm but uh, has it grown in size the original farm was uh 370 acres so what 130 hectares at my parents bought that was the one we originally converted and then a couple of other, or oh, one other um, dry stock farm was subdivided into uh, runoff, dairy runoffs, um, and uh, and sold off. And we've slowly picked up three of those blocks. They're all sort of 40 to 60 hectare blocks. So we've added those on. We're now 
280 hectares effective. The, the milking platform itself is only 180 hectares. Young stock and a bit of beef as well. So um, that's about where we are. I'll say 15, 15 seasons on once a day. Um, my wife and I bought my parents out, um, yeah, that's 17 years ago, 16 years ago. She's just shaking her head at me. <laughs> no, I don't think it was, was it? <laughs> yeah. Like I say, I've been here, I've been here all my working life, Jono. So. so you're running a bit, of, a bit of beef as well as doing all your young stock on farm. What have you done on the farm as far as infrastructure? I, I know you've got a, a herd home. How does that integrate into your business? We built the herd homes. Um, 2007 and 2009. All right. And uh, what, what they've done is it's enabled us to um, to winter at home. Because of the contour, we, we can't actually get a silage wagon or we used to roll hay bales down the hills to feed our stock, um, which is great to getting seed on, but it's not ideal on, on, on soils um, when it's starting to get a bit wet. So we, um, we put the herd homes on. So at least we could have all our feed in one area, um, being able to pull the cows off um, the hills when it is damp, um, and yeah, just change everything out. Bring 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 all our young stock home. We had our young stock off grazing. Um, we did have a runoff, um, a leased runoff, um, with all the headaches that went with it that we wintered off. Um, there was always water problems and been 18, 20 k's from the home farm. You always seem to be running backwards and forwards. So we just had enough, had enough of that and wanted to bring everything home and had a look around. And the herd homes um, had been developed up north, um, not far from where I was brought up. And uh, my, my father actually knew the guy um, that... that um, that built them so uh yeah we had a bit of a meeting with them and yeah decided that was probably the way to go with the uh with the farm and and just being able to you know the health and safety side of things with having machinery on hills around here um there's no way i could put my 90 percent of my labor that i had um on the hills with machinery to feed out anyway Jono. so we just decided that was yeah was the way to go and and it has been it's 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 been a huge change for us um stress wise as well uh, this this spring has been probably one of the hardest definitely the hardest one we've had since we put the herd homes in um and you know we would have been in a real shambles if we hadn't had them this spring they they have guaranteed our springs for the last 12 or 13 years our production through that period hasn't changed at all our inputs haven't changed um definitely this one we were down a reasonable amount but we could have been a hell of a lot worse off Jono. so uh yeah um other than that yeah a lot of a lot of environmental stuff we're uh, right on the edge of a lake and it's only a small lake it's only 100 odd hectares so uh we've got to be you know very careful there um herd homes same thing, uh, lent themselves for that side of it. So your soil stopping the pugging. And uh, is that what's given you the re response in spring? Is it the lack of pugging or just simply the animals off pasture? Oh, they're both. Both. Like we, if we if we damage a paddock, a lot of our country we can't put a seed like a drill through. Like if if we've got a 
if we're going to put seed on, we've pretty much just got to broadcast it. You can't get a tractor over most most of the property. Um, so if we're not pugging, well, obviously we're not having to, you know, fix that damage. So it's um, it was yeah, it's a huge part of it. Huge part of it. Even through the summer period, um, you know, we can pull our cows off. So we're not grazing down too hard when you know, the pastures just recover again. Coming out of even the, the hardest summer we've had, we didn't have to undersow or anything. We just came back out the other end and the pastures took off again when we got a bit of moisture. So it's, it's up to six degrees cooler in the herd barn with the shade cloth than what it is out in the paddock. So the cows are quite comfy in the in the heat of the day. And then they just get turned out again in the in the afternoon out into the paddock to, to eat grass. So works bloody well. Yeah, through the cool. So you can even use it as a tool to just simply, let's say, extend the round, chuck them in for a couple of hours before milking uh, in the afternoon. Well, what, when do you milk? In the morning, obviously. Yeah, first thing, yeah. First thing in the morning, you can't do much other farm work in the dark, so we can milk cows in the dark. So, <laughs> And then you put them out into the herd home and then out into the paddock, or you just sort of mix it around as it suits? Yeah, it, it depends on the season. Uh, at the moment, they're coming, actually coming back to the herd homes um, for a little bit of uh, high-energy feed, um, then back down to the cow shed, uh, out onto crop, and then um, back out onto grass um, through the hard summers, we would bring them in, milk them. Um, they'd go straight up to the herd home onto um, normally stack silage, and they'd stay there till three or four o'clock in the afternoon, and then go back out onto the onto grass for all night. So it worked really well because, as like I say, we've got, we've got them off the grass, off the pasture um, through the heat of the day, and that's where you do all the damage. So. Uh, you got stock on your pasture grazing it down hard and treating it and um and, and uh like megan said they're more than comfortable in the barns um through the summer with a shade cloth out and all the water's right there you know, there's eight troughs eight water troughs right there so they've got all the water they need and in the cool of the evening they just wander back out and uh, into a you know a good feed of grass so it, it's worked really well um pasture wise and animal health wise so. and you talked about crops before tell us a bit about your cropping and what do you do you know must must have a few challenges given the topography what's your cropping involved uh, when we uh purchased the blocks out the back which was it was a um was a dry stock farm um there'd been a lot of bulls back there so it's a lot of big bull holes and that it's it's probably it is the easiest part of the farm the whole farm now actually so we um we did a bit of turnip so so turnip summer crops through there so um that that was quite a good tool but that was before we had the herd homes as well um so yeah we did do a, a reasonable amount of that um for about probably five seasons and then you get to the stage where you're in the country that we you shouldn't really be working up so we use it as a tool to fix a lot of uh, a lot of earth damage and and um and big holes and and uh, that that worked all right, but then we got to the stage where well, there's no point in working up anymore because we're only going to grow six, maybe six or eight ton on on steep country, and then we've got to get it back in grass and hold that soil on the sidelines. So we went away from that, and about then was when we actually put the herd homes in, and um, and uh, yeah, we've just carried on from there. Definitely buying a, 
we do have to buy in a little bit of uh, stack silage and, and hay um, just to get us through those shoulders at this stage. But we are trying to farm our way away from doing that because it's expensive. And uh, and yeah, I'd just like to see us all at home, feed-wise, feed, feed -wise, just totally you know, self-sufficient, Jono. That's the plan, and and this is where this, you know, our new grazing and and new cropping, and Megan will talk you through that. We've pretty much tried everything. We've had runoffs, leased runoffs, wintered cows off, young stock off. So we've been, you know, in forty years, we've we've tried pretty much everything in the book. Um, Fifteen years ago, I started sowing plantain, um, over sowing with my fertilizer. That was a game changer. You know, you plantain and um, plantain, Coxford, um, red and white clovers, just over sowing. Um, you could put a bit of extra seed in because you're not paying for a tractor and a drill. It's just going straight in with your, with your fertilizer, with the aeroplane. Um, and at that stage, you know, the, that was probably 75% of the farm we were doing with the aeroplane. Um, we have started doing a bit more strategic um, fertilizer with trucks. Um, but now we're actually away from that as well because of the herd homes and the shed effluent system that we've got now. Um, there's very little fertilizer going on. Um, bought in fertilizer. It's all we're nearly becoming self-sufficient with that as well. So so yeah, you're starting to trim those areas down as well. But yeah, like I was saying, pretty much we we've tried everything all the way through. Um, winter crops, summer crops. Palm kernel. Palm kernel, yeah, <laughs> palm kernel. Um, May silage. Yeah, may silage. So, no, we're, we've tried it. We've tried it, and, yeah, I think we're on track now. And, Megan, where, where are things heading now? You know, let's let's start with, was it your input that's moved you to sort of a more um, natural way of farming? Let's let's start with the, the why. Okay, so I've always sort of looked at organic farming and gone, well, I get a lot of the principles, but I could never get my head around how to reduce the waste you know to still be able to treat a cow with mastitis without having to send her off or you know still be able to get rid of your weeds if you needed to and it sort of didn't have that flexibility but I also didn't entirely agree with the conventional way and the you know conventional farming and you know it's a lot of wastage a lot of excess and, and a lot of a lot of loss and um and then I went to a thing that you were running, Jono, and um, you sort of had these crazy ideas. And I came home to dad and I'm like, I get it. Like, it makes sense. And sort of explained a bit about what regenerative farming was. And it, it wasn't about not doing things. It was more about doing things more efficiently, using what you've got, being more, you know, self-sufficient and things. And, um, and I said to him, I want to plant a multi-species crop can I have a paddock and he was like have 20 hectares so so we did the did the first multi-species crop we drilled we drilled two paddocks eh? 44 yeah yeah we drilled two paddocks and then uh the hills we tried to um stunt with animals by grazing hard and then doing a short graze and flying that seed on um with the airplane we got okay results with that, but we we got way better results with the stuff we drilled. Um, and that year, it sort of allowed us to extend that rotation. So we drilled it in October, and we were back into it January, February. Eh? 
and it sort of allowed us to extend that rotation sort of in that pinchy period. It also allowed us to transfer feed from our, our flush and our surplus to another part of the year without using machines because we already cut the whole of the farm that we can cut and then we still have a surplus and we have no other way of transferring that feed. So that allowed us to take that feed back out and bring it back in February without putting any heavy machines over it. And um, to start off with, Dad couldn't get his head around how he was meant to grow a crop or grass without fertilizer. So, so it's sort of, yeah, it kind of had to earn his trust a little bit, I think. Um, and then the next year, our second year, we we still drilled the flatter paddocks. Uh, and then on the hills, we actually sprayed it out and put the seed on with the helicopter. And we got a oh, we got a pretty magic result that year on those hills. Um, so yeah, that you know we we really extended the uh, the grazing uh, grazing length then. And then again, you know that was October, and and transferred that feed till through to February again. Um, yeah, and then must be another year in between. So this only no, third year. This only third year. And then yeah, this year we were um, it was the wettest spring we've ever had. So we the paddocks were too wet to get the drill in and then the contractors were too busy and it got to December so we borrowed a mate's drill and and um just got in three flat paddocks because that's all we could do at that point so we're down quite considerably on the hectares we've uh we've sowed this year uh, but we've got a pretty pretty good crop you reckon's in there be, be at least 14 tonne Jono, we've only just started grazing it, so I'd say, that, you know, it's got to be growing at least 100 a day. Um, the, the the second canopy, like the, the sunflowers are probably six foot high. Um, the next canopy down is still higher than the fence, and that's full of millet and, and um, yeah, everything you can think of. And then there's still bulbs in the bottom, so it's, yeah. No, it is. It's looking really good, but we're still pretty wet and we're still scratching our heads. And, and well, we've, you know, obviously we've still got to harvest it with the cows, but we've got to be got to be very careful as as we harvest it too, um, not to make a mess. So, is it different compared to going back to turnips, um, being grazed in situ? Like, how does it compare? Like, if you do your best to try and think of similar seasons. How would you compare the two, let's say, post-grazing? What, what's it left like? Oh, yeah, this the, this is um, this multi-species crops. Yeah, it's out it's out on its own really compared to compared to our turnips. Um, we we used to grow good turnip crops, uh, 14, 14, 15 ton. Um, you know, turnips. I've got, I've got photos of the kids holding on to turnips, and uh, you know, they're as big round as they are. Um, so you know, massive crops, but just i think for me the what i've worked out with these crops is just the flexibility you know turnips crops you got 90 to 120 days and then it's it just all turns to shit everything starts to go to seed and, you, and with this you know we don't have to graze it that's the thing johnny we're having a good good um, autumn up here well you know we're, we're using it at the moment um because there's not a lot of guts in the grass we haven't had a lot of sunshine but okay if we don't need a paddock, well, we we could probably just let it go and 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 use it in the spring. Johnny, well, you can't do that with the turnip crop, eh? It's mm -hmm. you know, it, 
you you plant your terms okay you you know if you want your your winter crops well yeah it's you know what you've got to use but the the year you you grow a really good turnip crop is normally the year you don't bloody need it but you got to eat it anyway so um no we're i'm yeah i'm definitely converted when it comes to these multi multi-species crops and and uh, last year we actually we grazed one and i chucked a heap of herd home effluent on it and then decided i wasn't going to graze it again and we took probably an extra 10 ton off that the next spring with our lates we threw all our lates out there and just forgot about them for two and a half hectares you know it was just it was a massive crop and 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 the the first crop that we grazed off would have already been 12 or 13 ton um it was a hard it was a hard summer and it was quite a hard paddock and we actually sowed it again this year because it was sitting farrow we sowed it again this year and holy shit have we got a crop there this year you know so it's obviously you know improved that much more and only one dose of herd home effluent's gone on no fertilizer no nothing else so that i put the crookies in it just to open up around the gateways the other morning and the jersey cow walked in and i lost her <laughs> and what so, was it like before you got the trust and before you you saw the results were you skeptical what was you know this thing i heard megan say oh no fertilizer what was the reaction well, we still put on organic fertilizer the first year just to <laughs> yeah. just tie them over. But then it got to this season, it was like, right, we're not putting on any fur this year. We'll put on a bit of lime to carry the minerals, and that's it. So it's yeah, it's, it's certainly been a transition. And that was your call, Shane. Yep. Yeah, John. Uh, like we're we've strategically we've used quite a bit of in over the years um, to get the sidelings up and cranking. We get a lot of you know we got southwesterly sidelings on the farm um and it is a you know it's a good way to get that little bit of leaf up but uh i talked to my um pilot in the spring and and he we decided not to put any in on because it was so wet we just and huge downpours and he'd flown a couple of other farms um twice at that stage with um with urea or ammo or whatever they were using to get get started and he reckoned he couldn't see any difference between our place and their place. And they'd put on 60 odd thousand dollars worth of fertilizer. So yeah, it was it was a good call. And then now we've gone cold turkey. No, no in on the farm, no, no urea bought in at all. So we have bought a bit more feed in this year, but we're yep. trying to be a bit strategic with that. We're sort of yeah, just we are in that transition, changing how we're grazing and and everything to go with it. So I've gone, well, you know, instead of putting that money into fert, we'll put a dribble a bit more concentrate in and and try and balance the cows until we sort of well and the, the season's dictated that a bit too so. yeah yeah definitely yeah. um yeah a lot not a lot of sunshine cows were were low in energy so um what what's your sense of health and performance with the change in diet it's a little bit hard to say just yet you see you see your um the paddocks that we've sewed back down into, into permanent um definitely with a young stock they'll come back through and they'll they'll pick out a plant you know they can obviously you know watching them and and they'll go through and you know one of them will be eating chicory but the next day she'll be eating you know plantain or, or she's off on a coxwood plant and you know they'll actually they will select what they're grazing um with it so obviously they are self-medicating that way and they work work out what they need and um through through the shed production hasn't hasn't changed um 
until the summer, obviously. Um, we're, we're well up now. We're 35% up for the month and we're 24% up for last month. But we've also got green grass, which we don't normally have in February. With no end. With no end. <laughs> With no end. <laughs> oh, we're, uh, we're actually at uh, 70% clover. It's um, clover, plantain. Um, it's, it's all a bit different. Like I, We've changed, changed our grazing a little bit too. So we're, we're multi-moves. Even though we're once a day, you know, our cows are getting moved four, five, six times a day. Seven times sometimes. Seven times sometimes. <laughs> um, but going on to pasture where I, I, I'd normally have nightmares about, you know, just for bloat. Bloat. Yeah. So, um, but because they're always full, I think, like they're full when they go to the paddock in the morning and then they're full for the whole rest of the day. They're just, they're not overindulging in, in clover as soon as they walk in on empty bellies. So, you know, we used to spend a couple of hours at 10 o'clock every day driving around the cows, making sure no one had bloat, especially after we stopped and shed drenching and we moved to the water system. Well, yeah, dead. <laughs> Dad put them in a paddock the other day in the evening. He goes, that might have been a bad idea. And then drove home and then they were all still alive the next morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely been an, an interesting um summer, this summer, Jono. But uh yeah, pastures are, have, have definitely changed. Yeah, like all that. Man, we've had a massive change in, in farming really in the last three the years. The whole system has yeah. changed completely. <laughs> yes, you know, we've so. gone from running two mobs to one mob and yeah, one one herd now, which has made things so much simpler. I, I forgot how easy heifers can be when they're mixed in with the old girls. So that's a, a huge labour saving. Multiple shifts, really focusing on on keeping their um, residual, you know, sort of 16, 17, 18 instead of 15. So, you know, making that grass grow more grass. Mm. And what's it like given your topography? Like how you, you, you talk about multiple shifts, obviously it involves a lot of fencing, right? Or... How have you managed that? Well, it did. Yeah, we um, last winter I, I picked up a couple of couple of thousand poly rods, and uh, the guy chucked in a heap. He had a bull block that he'd um, lost the lease on, so I picked that up and he chucked in a heap of poly line as well. And I knew we were going to be short on labour because our other main labour unit got herself pregnant, so <laughs> she wasn't going to be walking up any hills. And like most of our property, if you go and put up a tape, it's twenty. 25 standards 30 standards and 300 meters 400 meters of line so it's not a five minute job and it's not a job you can do on the motorbike but what you know, what you do find with the staff when they start getting tired they start doing it on the motorbike so that's the other health and safety problem so we actually polyrotted the whole farm up because we've got a most of the farms really well watered we've got two three up to six water troughs in every paddock um, four hectare paddocks definitely you know they'll have troughs under the, underneath the fences, tops of ridges, all sorts. So we broke the whole farm up with poly rods down to sort of 1.2 hectare blocks. Um, most of the paddocks are three, two, three, and four, four blocks in every paddock. So that that worked really well, especially the spring with it being so wet, we could move the cows on. So we were, we were pretty well set up. And um, yeah, then Megan and, and um, my son, Daniel, um yeah sort of put the pressure on and next thing you know we've got halter on so because <laughs> the poly rods and splitting it up was like a i don't know a bit of foreplay to getting the, the, <laughs> getting the 
you could a see. bit like the first crop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could see how the multiple shifts was gonna work for the property, but you could also see the labor tie, you know, moving those cows around tied one person up pretty much all day. You have to go and you know let them through the end of the day and put them in a new paddock and then you know there was one person tied up. So it was quite good before we got Holter to come out to have a six months doing that. We could see the benefits of multiple shifts. And then we could go, you know, if we put this on, nobody has to walk up and down hills. We can keep doing the multiple shifts and it's not tying someone up all day. Yeah. And now obviously with the with the big sidelings and that, you you drop the fence and those cows just carry on walking around the sidling. Whereas if you go back there and wind a fence up, they all come either running to the top or running to the bottom to go through that break. Now they'll actually just carry on. And we've got cows in the mob that just keep pushing the boundary. They'll walk up, oh no, it's still there. They'll walk up, it's still oh, there. And then the whole herd will just move through the paddock. You know, it's they don't go to one point. They don't come to one point for the move. Oh, every now and then they will, but yeah. 75 80% of the time especially if they're on the steeper country they'll actually just carry on grazing around the around the faces John so yeah we'll we'll get to the stage pretty soon we'll we'll be pulling the odd fence it won't be all fences don't worry about that but it'll be the odd fence down a sidling where you know the cows can carry on grazing that that whole side and so we'll go from a two and a half hectare paddock um and you know a, a big sidling that's cut into say two or three to one big sidling where we can just block raise them all the way down just keep keep moving them on and um they're definitely working the sidelings starting to working the sidelings a, a, a hell of a lot better especially um, those big hill faces out my end yeah yeah you know uh, the bigger paddocks out megan's at the back of the farm um they're sort of four or five hectares but they're 700 meters long and uh uh some of them are probably better than 45 degrees you know that yeah they're reasonably steep so um man you know we've got dairy cows so they're not beef cows they gotta yeah they gotta get around and uh yeah so no it's 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 working it's, it's working pretty well we're definitely um we're definitely using it you know the, wow. the you know this multiple if if we're still on the old 24-hour grazing, well, I can't really see the point in doing it. But mm -hmm. if we want to change it up to this multiple moves, um, which you know we, we've done, um, and be able to push that that good quality feed forward rather than you know, I've always been one to harvest harvest that grass with the cows. So we've got to have all those cows on going through the winter to to harvest that grass in the spring because it just goes to shit otherwise turns to shit otherwise once it gets out of control on the sidelines um yeah that's that's it Jono. but we're, we're finding with these small breaks with a lot of cows and they're just they're taking out the best of it but they're trampling the rest down and then it's all just coming back up through it and it's yeah the quality is definitely improving every time around the farm so and so we, we've dropped back cow numbers and we're just focusing on on fully feeding those cows rather than making them work to to um, keep that seed head you know at bay we're doing we'll do quick rounds so they're just nipping off the whole you know the the top the whole time that keeps the seed head down anything that has managed to go to seed they trample on the worms eat that and turn it into compost 
And then, you know, it's coming back quality again. So, you know, we're not having to have that big number of cows on to try and eat that seed head because we're just not letting it get to seed head. Yeah. I, I, said, yeah. To, I said to my father the other day, actually, I said, I, yeah, I had a lot of years of uh, overworking and underfeeding cows. You know, and because we have, we've had to make, make them work. They've had to work. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's quite nice. It's quite a nice feeling to go, right, you know, we know how to, we know how to control it now um, a hell of a lot better than what you know just putting a lot of cows in the paddock um, you know the small blocks and now we've got the halter on as well um, yeah the multiple moves are easy it's amazing how much you can get them to eat too because you think you got them stonked you're like yep yeah, now feed them enough and then you give them a new break and it's kind of like putting pudding out everyone's like oh I guess I could <laughs> then they eat more like it keeps saying to dad oh, God, i can't believe how much a cow can actually eat all in one paddock and they've had the whole break someone pees there and poos there and your mate doesn't want to go and eat that so they all just you know lay down we're done but because they're getting fresh tucker all the time they when they get that new break nobody pees or poos for the first little bit because they're all eating and by the time they've eaten it all, they didn't go for a, a poop and lay down for a bit. And then they get more fresh tucker, you know. So we're not making them eat that sour tucker at any point. Just, they just keep eating. Because I don't suppose you've ever had much of an option to run a top of, over the farm. I, had a, I used to run a thousand ewes behind the, behind the milking herd. Would you believe those were our toppers? When we first came, came onto the property, there was, um, there was only 12 paddocks on the farm. Um, but they were all good sheep paddocks. And then we broke it up with uh, four, four electric wires with the bottom one reasonably close. And we used to pick cold ewes up for about $2 each from down in the um, wire wrapper, truck them home in October after that lamb. So these were these were pretty skinny ewes. And yeah, and they'd be split up into two mobs and they'd, they were our toppers. And yeah, no, the, the, the place looked great. But then ewes ended up at 40 bucks each. And yeah, it was sort of got to the stage where well is it actually working and and then you had to get rid of them before the summer normally so um but yeah those, those were our toppers johnny ones that actually make your money not cost you money well we've tried a mob of um like carryovers and bits and pieces and beefies and stuff and run them behind behind the cows as well that works all right but I mean, it's two more days after the cows come out that they're in that paddock that their grass is getting chomped at. That it's yeah. you and, know. and they're still picking the best of yeah. it out. They're not. They're still not eating the rubbish. You know. Yeah, eating into your recovery, and yeah. and so you've now shifted to sort of more rather than looking at needing to address seed head. You're looking at preventing seed head. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. That, yeah. that yeah. and the end of diversifying what's in the pasture. Like I say, I plantain 15 years ago was a game changer, and now it's, you know, there's a bit of chicory out there. Dandelion. How about that dandelion, mate? <laughs> <laughs> the free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, Shane, before we move on, um, I want to come back to this thing about nutrient transfer and your sidelings, because a lot of your farms steep. Uh, would it, it's a it's a traditional problem where you've got you know all the guts gets eaten off the hill and it's camped at the top or taken down the bottom did you notice on the farm over your 40 odd years sparsity on your sidelings yeah de definitely in the early days um when we came here obviously all brown top was fairly run down farm um i say we we rolled a lot of hay bales down over the sidelings um i think 
the the game changer for us was definitely the plantain. Um, it got the cows up on the sidelines a bit more. Um, your urine patches doubled and tripled over the next couple of seasons. Um, and then you know with the harder harder summers and that um you've got the all these plantain plants up there and they're just gathering up those big leaves just gather up that moisture through the night and you've got all your cloves and everything surviving around them because you know you you bang a spade and even in your driest summer you put a spade through a plantain plant that's on the sidling and there's a heap of moisture around its roots um so they they gather up moisture all night long um so you know we had all of that going going forward with the plantain with the herd homes um all our we've got a um a coon um they call them a slinger so they actually throw out the side of that it's like a big bathtub with a set of hammers out the side well, we can chuck that stuff off the top the herd home effluent off the top for probably a good 25 meters so it goes a long way down over the sidelines and what doesn't get to the bottom to start with just makes its way down with the next lot of rain a little bit anyway, John knows. So and we get over a good 80 hectares of the of the rolling country with that. So that's pretty much tidies up all of that. There's no other than a bit of sulfur, there's um nothing else goes on. Um the bottoms of the gullies above optimum for everything. And uh and the tops of the ridges are the same. So pretty much everything we take out of the herd home gets thrown back on the sidelines. And the shed effluent block is, well, they were only milking 450 around that in cows. Um, we've got 60, about 68 hectares under herd, uh, under cow shed effluent as well, all through irrigator. And um, that's all right on the optimum as well. We actually started carting a bit of our um, herd home stuff around to our uh, young stock block to um, yeah, get a bit more nutrients, a few more nutrients out there. Just to, There's only about 10 hectares of mowable back there, so that's where that's going at, at the moment. So, But to be in that sort of situation, is, it's, it's pretty good. And then, you know, to grow these multi-species crops with just using a little bit of effluent, if we can get it out of the paddocks that we're doing them in, is, is yeah, it's pretty cool. It's not... You know, a long way from growing turnip crops and putting on 150 odd kilos a in just to make them grow before the summer. That's for sure, Jono. So, but yeah, sidelings. Um, oh, we've had we've had a few open days on the farm and that, and guys just go, man, I didn't realize you can grow grass on sidelings like this. So, you know, it's yeah, it, it's it is healthy country. We're um we've got a bit of a mixture. The the front of the farm is actually what they call roller mahana mud which was the bottom of a lake when uh, Tarawera Mountain blew up about what, 120 years ago, 120, 130 years ago, I think it was. 1886. 86, there you go. However long ago that was. Um, so, yeah, so that, that that's the front of the farm and, and the back of the farm is a, a little bit more fragile, um, a bit steeper and a bit more fragile. Um, it's car or ash, they call it. So still volcanic. Um, so, yeah, but fairly rich, fairly rich country. The animal impact thing on the sidelines obviously been a game changer as well, and and obviously the the halters changed that game immensely. I can imagine. Um, what other benefits are there to halter? What are you? How are you finding the system so far? Well, we only put them in in when was it November? Yeah. Just we had three weeks, three weeks before the end of um, mating, we put them on, and it, um, 
So it takes about a week to learn roughly what the cows do in their habits. So within a week, you can start using it for um, picking bulling cows. So we actually did use it at the end. We pulled the bulls out because we thought they weren't going that flash. So we pulled the bulls out and um, used it to pick bulling cows and then inseminated them with short gestation semen to pull that, you know, that last end in because we were having a lot more cows than we thought we should having, you know, coming up. Um, so it helped us problem solve then. So we've known right the way through pretty well what our empty rate was going to be. So, and we pregnancy tested last week and it was within a half a percent. So, you know, it said we were going to be 12% and we were 11 and a half. So, so, but we were already, you know, prepared for that. So we mm -hmm. haven't seen a, a whole mating um, with Halter. It's going to be interesting actually getting the drafting side of it. You're just drafting on lights on the on the halter, and it can be a little bit hard to see. I'm too short to see it. Um, my brother Dan, who's six foot something, he's a bit taller, so he can see the lights through the shed. But yeah, so the, that side of it, we're not sure of yet. But um, yeah, yeah, the animal health side, um, yeah, I, like we were picking our crook cows before halter is, but. I think if you've got a lot of staff um, and you're a little bit concerned on how sharp they are, at least you'd be, it'll be a second, you know, it'd be a backup for you um, because it does, you know, within six hours of us picking them, the halter would have, would have told you anyway. Um, so. But then it'll pick up cows and say that it's crook and you draft her and you're like, well, I don't know what's wrong with her. Yeah. Two two-year-olds just teething. It picked pick both of them. I go, well, can't see, there's nothing physically wrong with her, but because she wasn't ruminating, she wasn't chewing, I guess, wasn't ruminating. And it picked her as being sick, but she was, she was just losing her teeth. You know, new set of teeth, she'd just gone off a tucker. So, you know, it's it, mastitis, so it picks them pretty quick. Definitely lame cows, but you know them anyway. Um, yeah, just just the odd bit, bits and pieces. It's definitely picked cows, you know, you're bulling cows that especially with a once a day you, you can miss, you know, that you've only got that bracket. You'll see, maybe see them rubbed. If you had them tail painted, you would have seen them rubbed. It's sort of the tail end of the tail end of um, the mating and that. Um, yeah, it picked a few cows that I hadn't picked. So, and they've definitely come up empty now. So Yeah, it took, took probably a week of using tail paint and halter the dead <laughs> to trust it. So I saw that cow you know riding another cow and that cow hasn't come up and then next morning should be on so it's just slightly later <laughs> it picks picks the cows a bit later than what you would normally with tail paint so didn't did you see did it miss any like did you see any bull that you knew bull had bulls that it didn't bring back just one, just one one heifer just one heifer. i bet you're looking too mate i bet you were really looking yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> better to earn his trust too <laughs> <laughs> What's it like working together, family on the farm? And you talked about your dad being there earlier, Shane. Like, how do you find... Yeah, well, every now and then there'll be four generations of us out there. My, yeah, my father's just turning 85. He still comes home and does a bit of maintenance and always wants to go and have a look around. And and um, obviously Megan's boys are spread out between one and a half and, and eight. So they're always out on the farm with us. And yeah, um, my son's been on farm with us. He's now running his own business, but still coming back, does a few milkings and bits and pieces for us as well. So, and then, yeah, we don't have too many arguments, no, do we? we? I we just say yes. <laughs> we rub along, right? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, it sounds like you really enjoy it. Like, it's, I don't even have to ask you that. I can just hear it. No, I love it. I, um, yeah, well, I don't want to be anywhere else. 
I, yeah. I left uni I did an ag degree and and in about two years in I still couldn't decide what I wanted to do with my life and dad rang me up and said why don't you come home to the farm and I was like sweet let's do that so like you know the whole way through the ag degree I was taking notes and thinking of how we could apply it at home so it was pretty inevitable I was going to end up here but um yeah no and sort of haven't looked back I've yeah. have you used any of it I mean, Jono's untaught me everything I learned. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> and um, and the kids, like, is, uh, there's enough going on on farm that, as a parent, you know, you've got young kids, like you're dealing with, you know, a lot of toxins and things. Has it changed the environment for you guys as parents and grandparents where you feel better about being around on farm? No, even with the young stock now, we used to worm dredge them on the first of the month because that's what we did. You know, we had, we've only got R1s and R2s out at back. So the worm burden is quite high out there. Well, we thought it was quite high out there. So we kept up that regular worming once a month. Even with that now, we've started fecal sampling. And so not just going, right, we're just going to drench them because it's the first. We take a fecal sample on the first, grow it out, we'll get it counted, see how many there are, and then making drenching decisions on on that so I think we're being you know with all the chemicals and all the inputs we're just being a lot more strategic with how we're using them and even with the spot sprays and stuff like we were little fellas and and had knapsacks on our back because that's just you know what you did but I don't know I don't I don't like the idea of the boys spot spraying and and being around that shit if we can Mm. If we can avoid it, I'd be quite happy so to avoid it. So she's quite happy to stick them out in the paddock with a grubber. Oh, shit. Have you seen a three-year-old on a grubber? <laughs> <laughs> Little mini grubber. I paid them $2 each to go and pull all the ragwort out of the house paddock the other day. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, no, I no, love you're it. right there, Jono. And, and, you know, we, you know, it was, you know, shit, I was swinging on the end of a hose spraying gorse up north when i was well i couldn't drive the tractor up the hill so the old man would drive the tractor and i'd be swinging on the hose and the, you know with a spray drift out of that your chemicals you learn a lot more right eh? we've all learned a lot johnny you know, the old man's lost mates to leukemia and, and all the rest of it and and you sort of look back and you go well yeah it's not surprising really the amount of poison that went through and and like they say my kids all had knapsacks on their backs or they had to you know go out and spray a paddock before they we could put petrol in the in the jet boat to take them down the lake you know and i had all their mates out there doing it too you know <laughs> they had to they had to earn their keep um yeah these kids are getting it might be getting a bit soft eh? Uh, no no maggie's aren't no they 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 thrive on work those boys yeah but. My little fella's already, you know, teeth spraying the cows and trying to milk, and the three-year-old's like, "When's it my turn? Oh, you got to grow another two foot first, mate." Yeah, right, Jono. You know the the health of the land, and and we've done the hard yards. We've, you know, the place was yellow with weeds. Now it's just yellow with sunny sunflowers. And yeah, but the kids, yeah. So it's to the stage now where we can just go out with grubbers. And in this spring, that's all we've done because it hasn't. We haven't had twenty-four hours of bloody sunshine anyway. So we've been mm-hmm. over the whole farm with grubbers two or three times doing rag ragwort and thistles, just knocking the tops off. And you know, a lot of it's just cosmetic. You think, oh, I'll just keep the place tidy, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, one of your comments, I think last time we talked was all 
you really need to <laughs> with the weeds. Yeah, you, you said something about you had, had a heap of guys on the trailer dragging them around, pulling out or chipping, chipping, nodding, nodding thistles. Well, yeah, we can't drag a trailer around here, but yeah, sometimes you feel like you should be. So. Mm-hmm. We got one one lease block paddock, and um, it's just it's a shit paddock anyway. It's always just got a few sheep and stuff in it. Anyway, this year it's pretty well solid prickles. We drove past it the other day, and I see dead look away. I said. Yeah, Jono said to embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> when they put the driveway in next door, they put the culvert in too high and they lifted the water level of the, the creek by that paddock. And so now the water level in the paddock is at paddock level. Pretty much, yeah. 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 So this this was a was a neighbour. He'd subdivided and, yeah, he put the, put a culvert in and yeah, did it did it all easy. Dumped a heap of rocks in there and then put the culvert on top of that and and then uh, yeah, lifted everything up by about five hundred, which flooded our last paddock. Um, yeah, millet loves it. Yeah, millet. The millet's growing wicked this year. <laughs> yeah. It's it's only just started like oh six weeks ago, two months ago. It finally had enough air in the paddock to germinate, but yeah, there's plenty of that. But. No, so we had that in a setup crop for 12 months and we got more grazings off it in that 12 months than we probably did in the previous 12 months before, you know, two years before. Um, but then we, you know, we'd had our annual, annual rainfall by June or July or something ridiculous. So, you know, we've had the soil profile is still full. There is no room for water at this point. So there is a bit of a lake on that paddock. We we're a bit late drilling it. And then we had big rains and it flooded and we had pretty poor germination. Um, but that sort of drained away a bit and let a heap of millet come through. Um, so yeah, we've we've got we are growing feed on again now, but God, if it was grass, it'd just be willow weed though. Yeah. Grass. So it was looking really good and really awesome. And then you know, it's just been a shite year. What's exciting you both at the moment? You know, getting out of bed in the morning. What is what is exciting you about what you're doing? For me, it's just learning more. Um, like I've got a notebook and every time I hear something interesting, I'll go and write it in my notebook. Or, you know, if I've I looked into millet and the, you know, the feed quality of millet and I've got a, you know, a whole page on millet and I'm listening to Nicole Masters book again for the second time and you know I've got notes out of you know what she's saying and it's just is learning all the time now and trying new things and working out how we can do it differently. And you know, we're really focusing on filling the the gaps in our feed um you know in terms of when we need protein and and stuff like that with stuff we've grown on farm so you know we're talking about maybe growing those wet paddocks just in millet and sunflowers and then baling it or you know maybe putting a couple of flatter paddocks um that are quite hard to get to in um, prairie grass and clover or you know and then changing the what the um, baleage and stuff we can actually cut is. So I think yeah. it's just the the changing and the learning all the time, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really pushing to become more self sufficient. Obviously, um, I said we've, we've got animal um, dairy cow numbers a, a little bit, um, and just yeah, feeding them feeding them better, um, and 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 more balanced more than anything. You know, I've always you know. It's just grass down, grass down the throat. But yeah, I've I've learned a bit more in the last three or four years, of just getting that, yeah, that balance and and the rumination I, with halter. Um, that that's been interesting too. You know, it's all all right in front of you. 
and uh, you know working on how we can use that and and um and still balance balance their diet out a little bit more and you know growing growing these crops or taking these crops through maybe into the spring and you know utilizing them there and and not having to deck them you know your turnip crops you took them down to the dirt well you know you got I, i've got to get my head around you know walking on on top of the third of it and not worrying about it you know it's there it's it's still doing a job you know we've grown you know the first crop would have been well, we would have taken more than 18 ton off it in a paddock that we were lucky to grow 10 10 of grass um you know so you think well does it really matter if there's a couple of ton left on the ground because we are growing so much and as long as it, it's it's doing a job you know it's feeding that soil and looking after that soil and being alive compost yeah so uh you know, I've, I've got, you know, she's learning a lot and I've got a lot more to get in my head around, Jono. You know, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely a big change for me. But we, like, you know, we've got a big compost pile and we've got a little worm farm and, you know, doing lots of really, really yeah. different things. Yeah, growing bugs. Growing bugs, yeah. Putting the, the EM in the um, herd barns to try and break that down. And so. Yeah, yeah, so it's all go. I love that, mate. It's like um, I'm reminded of a saying of um, huge influence in my life and mentor Tim Chamberlain used to say to me, and it's never been so relevant as it is now. He used to say to me, we're all just trying to work it out. Yeah, no, and then something works one year, one season may not quite work the next season, but yeah, you got to have a few uh, a few tools in the in the toolbox, Jono, and and um, this is yeah. What's that saying? If you're not getting it wrong, you're not trying enough new things. What about for people coming in? Um, maybe they're listening to this podcast, they're dairy farmers, perhaps, or maybe just anyone interested in this journey. What would you say to them, guys, from both of you? Just give it a crack. Like you don't need to go, you know, full scale twenty hectares. There's, there was a fella down at um at that workshop you did and he said well the first year his dad gave him one strip in one paddock of multi-species and then and now you know the, all their crop is multi-species so just give one strip and one paddock a go and and see how it goes you don't have to go whole hog me like i say i'm, I'm 57 and and this farm sort of that's been my whole working life and you know, we've we've had a number of changes in the last fifteen years, but you know, the last four has been yeah, she's been uh, been full on. But uh, yeah, you can really start to see see a huge change in the farm and the stock and 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 the enthusiasm of the people around it. So that's a big one, eh? Yeah, yeah, it is. Just yeah, yeah, you gotta. You know, you can carry on doing the same old, and and you know, if you've got good labour too, they'll they'll buy into it as well, and, and and you know, it's all learning, it's all learning. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Pretty hard to put a price on that, eh? Like you mentioned, you know, the the enthusiasm. It's like um, that's not something that we quantify easily in our sort of modern day metrics, is it? And we all know, like, a, when you've got a team that are excited about what they're doing things just you know it's not that that easier but things just get done it's likely to make big mistakes too you know if you you work as a, a healthy and enthusiastic about the job they're less likely to hurt themselves now they're not yeah. rushing to try and get home 
I dare say, you know, you might have to put those a uh, couple of thousand poly strands on uh, on back on trade me there soon. No, they got the young stock block. I'm gonna, yep. gonna split the young stock block up and do multiple shifts with the the heifers and the calves. Oh, of course, yeah. So you've still, yep. That, so that, yep. I've got you now. Yeah. So that's the. Yeah, there's there's forty odd forty odd paddocks on the young stock block, but if we can split that up under eighty to a hundred, um, a little bit of water supply to do back there, but yeah. We do that, and, yeah, and probably just go go with that, and and um, say uh, the bat gates. So I actually release, and you know we do multiple moves during the day, and yeah. So now we're uh, <laughs> we're not stopping here. Hey Shane and Megan, thank you so much for your time today, and um, doing what you have done so far. It's just been an absolute pleasure to be you know alongside you with this journey, watching you go and. And I, I look forward to seeing, you know, what the coming seasons bring. Cool. Thanks, Jono. This podcast was supported by MPI's Productive and Sustainable Land Use Extension Services Fund. The information, opinions and ideas presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. Any reliance on the content provided is done at your own risk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Quorum Sense podcast. Subscribe, share, and if you have any comments, questions, or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at quorumsense.org.nz or visit the quorumsense.org.nz website where you can also access past episodes. We hope you have an enjoyable week and that you've got something of real value from this podcast. Be sure to join us for the next exciting episode. We'll see you then.